In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, last week I told you that uh, the whole month of Amshir spoke about the food that the Lord offers us, and primarily the food of the Eucharist, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. And we spoke last week about how can we prepare for the Eucharist or communion. And we spoke a little bit about how we prepare for prayer by prayer, and how we need to cultivate the right mindset, what it is that we're coming to do, uh, offer repentance, bring with us an offering when we come, uh, reconcile with our brethren and honor him and his home. I'd like to continue our uh, like the same kind of theme uh, today and speak a little bit about how we maximize the benefit of the divine liturgy. When we come to meet for liturgy, how can we maximize our benefit? So that every time I come to the liturgy, I gain something from it. Um, and I think to answer this, uh, there'll be two parts. You know, number one is in order to benefit from something, I must understand it. So I'll mention a few points about the benefits of the liturgy that we receive from being here. And then number two, just some practical advice um, to maximize our benefit. What is it that are, are the benefits that we come, we receive from being in the liturgy uh, when we attend? The first one, of course, is that then the first and foremost is that when we come to the liturgy, this is the only place where we can partake of the Eucharist, partake of communion, His body and His blood. And this partaking of His body and blood unites us with Him. As He says in John 6, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in Him. So He says both, I in Him and He in me. So there's this unity that happens both on my part and His part uh, as well. And it's through the Eucharist, when I come and partake communion, I make myself an active member of the church. If I don't take communion, I'm not an active member of the church, because what am I uniting to? I can be a busy person in the church, but I'm not an active, unified member in the church unless I take communion. Um, Also, the Eucharist gives us life. It gives us life. Again, we said this verse last week, and the Lord said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I raise him up in the last day. If you think about all the food that we eat, and I mentioned this before, is dead. The only food that we eat of that is alive, that brings life, is the Eucharist. And if you think about all of the movements in one's life, from the moment of their birth, it's a movement towards death. From the moment we are born into this world, we are moving towards the day that we die. Right? Where is the only place that this movement is reversed from death to life? It's here, when we partake of the Eucharist. Right? Because this is the, the food that we take which endures to everlasting life. But it's as if it's moving us in the opposite direction of eternity, while from the moment we are born, we're moving towards the day that we depart and the day that we die. So the Eucharist gives us life. So I come here first and foremost to partake of the Eucharist. And this was the lifeblood of the church. Even in the times in our church history, when the church was weak, but what kept the church alive and thriving was the fact that the Eucharist was there. And all the believers understood that it was necessary in order for me to be united in the body of Christ, I must take communion. This is the first benefit. <clears throat> the second benefit is that it unites us with one another. It unites us with the church. 
Again, St. Paul says this in Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 10. He says, The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, and we all partake of that one bread. So he says that because all of us, we partake of that one bread, we are all one body, all members in the body of Christ. Um, and this is the sign of our unity with one another. If we think of the word, word liturgy, it comes from the Greek word liturgeia, which is translated um, a public work. It's a work of the people. Um, this is something, in order for us to have a liturgy, we must be gathered together. It's not, I mean, the priest, if he comes by himself, he can't pray a liturgy. Nor if it's just him or like a deacon. It needs to be at least three. The priest, the deacon, and the congregation. And this is, you'll find that divide. When we pray in the divine liturgy, you have these three parts. You have the priest part, you have the deacon part, and you have the congregation. And they're all active members and must be participants in this, uh, in the liturgy. Because it uh, unites us together. Before we actually, right after we begin the liturgy of the faithful, the first thing Abuna prays is the prayer of reconciliation, right? And then right after that, we greet each other with the holy kiss, right? This is an, a sign that all of us are reconciled with one another. Sometimes we think, okay, well, if I'm not okay with somebody, I can sit far from them and therefore I don't have to you know, have this greeting with them. But this is only fooling ourselves here, not fooling God. But this is a sign that we're reconciled with everybody in the body of Christ, or we ought to be. Um, and again, this, this, uh, this is a display or a public display of our unity and reconciliation. Not only are we united and being reconciled to one another, but we're also united in faith. Again, the first thing we say when we begin the uh, liturgy and after I finish the sermon, we will say the creed together, which is a declaration of our faith. So we're all saying, or we ought to be saying, with one voice, we believe in one God, God, uh, God the Father, and so on. Right? It shouldn't just be the deacon, or one or two deacons, who are in the microphone, and all of us are just standing there. But we should be saying with them, because we're declaring the same faith with one another. So coming to the liturgy is a place where we unite with one another. Also coming to the divine liturgy is our sanctification, where we become sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be, be made holy, to be made holy, and also maybe to be purified. How is it that we're made holy when we attend the divine liturgy? Well, if you come from the beginning, there's a process that happens. We become in the, in the, in the morning, we prostrate, we say uh, our prayer when we enter the church, and then we begin the prayers from the Igbeya, the praises, the matins, and throughout all of these things, we have prayers, we have readings, we have um, hymns that we listen to, uh, and all of these things purify us and sanctify us to be ready to partake of the mysteries of the body and blood of the Lord. This is why, if you, um, maybe you may not pay attention to this, but there's an inaudible prayer, a silent prayer that Abuna prays um, and during the epiclesis, when everybody's kneeling, uh, and he says, uh, let this bread become your holy body. There's a prayer that Abuna is praying, and you can find this in Coptic Reader if you have it. Uh, what does he say? He says, we ask you, O Lord, our God, that your Holy Spirit may descend upon us and upon these gifts set forth. So notice the order here. We're asking the Holy Spirit 
to descend upon the gifts. And we all know that because we're here, you know, we hear it in the liturgy. But what we don't hear is that Abuna is praying that the Holy Spirit descend upon us first, the people, right? And the Holy Spirit. I mean, and the, the bread and wine. Why? Why do we need the descent of the Holy Spirit? It says, purify them. So the mysteries and us, purify them and change them, manifest them as a sanctification of us. So just as we're praying that the bread and wine be changed to the body and blood of the Lord, we're asking God through the Holy Spirit to change us into what? And manifest them as a sanctification of your saints. Manifest them, the mysteries, as a sanctification of your saints. So we're here to be sanctified and we're made, you know, uh, holy during the process of the liturgy. This is why if I come late to the church, I miss this sanctification part. I miss this part becoming holy. And then what happens at the end of the liturgy, Abuna says something that if we pay attention to this, it should yani, uh, resonate with us and make us yada, think about it. He says the holies are for what? The holy. The holies, the body and blood, are for the holy. Who are the holy? It should be us, right? If we attend from the beginning of the liturgy, we are made holy through this process of sanctification. Then what happens after Abuna says the holy are for the holies? What does the congregation say? Hmm. Abuna, you put us on the spot. Right? What does it say? One is the all-holy Father, one is the all-holy Son, and one is the all-holy... So what are we saying to Him? No, God, God, you're the one that's holy. Not me. You're holy. Because it should make us anxious. It should make us like, no, no, we're not holy. You're the one who's holy. And then to ease and kind of give us this reassurance, what does Abuna say? Peace be with all. Peace be with all. You know what this reminds me of? When the, the disciples were on the sea and the, the waves were boisterous, they were scared, and he comes to them and the first thing he says is, Peace be to you. When they're in the upper room, they were scared, and he enters into the upper room after the resurrection, what does he say? The first thing, Peace be to you. This peace gives us reassurance. Not that we ourselves are holy because I'm a good person or I'm a holy person. Because through this process of sanctification, he made me holy and worthy partake of the Eucharist. This is what's going on. It's the process of our sanctification. So if I come late, I don't benefit from this. I don't get this sanctification. Maybe the last thing, uh, reason why um, we uh, are the benefit of the liturgy is that it grants us the remission of our sins. As the Lord said um, in Matthew 26, during the Last Supper, He tells them, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the me- for many for the remission of sins. So now we've had this, our sanctification, and we partake of the Eucharist. This is the forgiveness and the remission of our sins. Um, and this is why at the end of the liturgy, during the last confession, Abuna says what? Given for us for salvation, huh? remission of sins, and eternal life to those who partake of Him. Right? These three things. Remission of sin, salvation, and uh, eternal life to those who partake of Him. So what are some practical advice for me, Abuna, when I come to the liturgy? How can I benefit and how can I maximize my benefit? As I mentioned many times throughout the sermon, the first one is to come early. Coming early. I will not fully benefit from the prayers of the liturgy when I come late. How many of us have seen a movie before in the theater? 
I have, okay? You can raise your hand. Let's be honest. Okay? How many saw a movie in the movie theater before? Yeah, all of us went to the theater before, right? How many of us have gone late to the movie theater? I mean, not really. What happens if you walk into the movie theater late? The beginning, of course, is sets the plot for the whole movie. So you'll miss the whole idea. You'll be sitting there not knowing what's going on. You'll probably chat with the person next to you and say, okay, fill me in, what happened? Right? We don't go late because we know we'll miss something. And it's important. Ishmael, we go early to the movie because when it comes to the liturgy, we come late. We'll miss something. We'll miss this process of sanctification. Remember, it's a journey of sanctification and culminates in our unity with Him. We must come early. And early here is Mishal al-Ingir. It's not on the Gospel. Early is from the beginning of Matins. If you really want the full experience of the liturgy, you come early from the beginning of Matins at 7.45. The second one is to be an active participant in active participant and not a spectator. As I said, there are many parts of the liturgy, and among them are the congregation parts. And these congregation parts are meant for all of us to say together. You know, not just one of the deacons or two of the deacons, but we're all supposed to be saying this uh, together. And if we're not sure if this is true, if you remember in the absolution, before we begin the hitan, the hitan yet, Abuna comes here, and he's facing the altar, and he says the absolution of the servants. So it means all of the servants will be absolved from the mouth of all of the uh, fathers. But he begins and says what? May your servants, the ministers of this day, okay, who's ministering this day in the liturgy? He says the higamen, the priest, the deacons, the clergy, and what? All the people. All the people. Meaning what we all ought to be participants in this divine work of the liturgy. And this means, you know, following the prayers, you know, when the deacon say, for example, um, kneel, we kneel. When he says pray for the fathers, you pray for the fathers. Pray for the peace of the church, you pray for the peace of the church. When he says pray for the sick, I'm praying for the people that are sick. So I'm active participant. If you, if you notice during the liturgy, the deacon is the one who's giving instructions. So just keep an eye or an ear on what the deacon is saying and do it. That's how we participate. When we kneel, the deacon tells us when to kneel. Lift up our hands. The deacon, uh, we lift up our hands. So pay attention during the liturgy and let all of your senses participate. It's time to kneel. We kneel. We get up. We make the sign of the cross when we say agios or holy. So be a participant. Don't just be a spectator. Uh, number three is to uh, minimize distractions. And this maybe is the biggest one. Um, we can't really engage in something if we're distracted. This is why they tell you, you know, you shouldn't use your phone or be on your phone while you're driving, because it's very dangerous. You can't engage and pay attention to driving if you're doing something else. Same thing in church. I can't pay attention to the liturgy and benefit if I'm distracted by other things. Of course, we can be distracted by the devices we have. And, and again, we said this hundred, hundreds of times. We shouldn't need our phone here. And if we have it, it should be maybe on airplane mode. As soon as they get the phone, we don't have it. Why does a child or somebody, and anybody actually, who's not um, like a professional, who perhaps is, uh, they might be called for an emergency, they're the only people that maybe that need a cell phone. And not, even in then, it can be on silent. And even in then, if the emergency, any, the person is not, any, you have their other channels. Say I'm a physician and I'm on call. At the end of the day, the person can call 911, right? 
in these few minutes, all right? So none of us really need a cell phone. So we should be teaching our kids, maybe today's Sunday, we're not coming to church, you leave the cell phone at home. You don't need it. But I want to follow a Coptic reader. We have Coptic reader on the screen, okay? We need to teach our kids they don't need them in the church. Um, sometimes we're distracted by people. We can come down, come and we come and we sit next to our friends. And then, of course, this adds a temptation of, hey, let's talk a little bit, or did you see what this person did? Did you hear what this person did? And then it's very, you know, tempting to speak to them. Or to laugh with them. You know, sometimes there's something that, you know, happens in church, uh, or that's around us that might, yani, uh, make us laugh if somebody comes in wearing two different pairs of shoes, or two different colors of socks, or somebody, one of the deacons trips. You know, it's easy. If I'm next to my friend, then I'm going to laugh with them, and this will get me distracted. We also sometimes can be distracted by the deacons. Maybe I'll address the deacons here for a few minutes. The deacons can be very distracting. You notice how the, we're sitting, the, the people are here, and the deacons are up here. But everybody sees everything you do, right? If I'm sleeping, if I'm on my phone, if I'm talking, if I'm laughing, it's very distracting. And imagine kids, and especially about the walking, the walking around. I'm trying to focus on the liturgy, and like the deacon, and every time he passes by, my eyes go, my eyes go. How am I going to focus on liturgy if the deacons are moving so much, right? The deacons can be such yani, a big distraction. And we need to be aware of that as deacons, that we're not a cause for people to be distracted in the liturgy. Not only their movement, but how about like when yani, they're not together. Abuna is praying from here, and the deacon's praying in another picture tone. For that, we're about to say in Abuna's tone, and the deacon's like, Abuna's like up here, and then the deacon's like, oh, down here, and then, okay, the people don't know what to say. Right? Or, if like um, uh, Abuna has like a certain rhythm and then the deacon Abuna is praying like this and the deacon's like okay what's happened here I feel like I'm being, there's a tug of war going on right again all of this can be a distraction right so as deacons we need to be facilitators to prayer and not distracting another part maybe the like the congregation knows the response and then the deacon sticks the, the microphone in his mouth and makes us yani, all deaf because we can't hear. Can't even hear ourselves chant. Why? Right? If the people know it, let the people say it. You know, it'd be a dream if we can have like all of the deacons that are learned sit in one row. Each deacon, like, kid to sit in a row. And then all of us, kid to chant together. If you've attended any litur- like liturgy in the monastery or in the convent especially, they don't use microphones. And when they say together, it's like being in heaven. When we say together, it's like being in heaven. When we say, for example, Amin, Amin, Amin. And nobody, you don't hear any, like, there's nobody, like, in the microphone. And the person in the microphone should be there, but it's just to begin and to lead the people. To begin the pitch and the tone and the pace. And the people should keep up with this. And this is our job too. We need to listen to the deacon as he begins and keep up with him. Abuna Yusuf Asad, God rest his soul and pray for us. But sometimes yani, this Odess is six hours, right? We can't, we can't afford to pray the Odess six hours. But we can't respond the same way that they responded there, right? But we say, we wait for the deacon to begin and he, yani, and then we join them with the same pitch and tone. And this will make the prayer conducive to all of us when we do it together. Sometimes I'm distracted as a servant. I'm distracted by what the service I'm going to do. 
And sometimes, as, as a servant, I'm responsible for different activities in the church. And I'm, I'm not saying here, I'm not speaking to the people who have responsibilities during the liturgy. Like the ushers, they have responsibility. The people who prepare the, 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 you know, the altar, you know, utensils and so on, they have some responsibility. Although, this should be done before the liturgy begins, but there's some responsibility. I'm talking about sometimes as a member, I find something to keep me occupied during the liturgy that has to do with like the maintenance or, you know, even like the video, you know, if there's a wedding or if there's some kind of thing, I'm, I'm occupying myself with taking videos and pictures and we're not paying attention to the prayer. This is all distracting to me and those who are around me. Number four is avoid depriving yourself from the Eucharist and from liturgy. Sometimes we say to ourselves, I'm not going to take communion, so I'm not going to go to church. But you miss out on all of the benefit, right? Even though I'm not going to take partake of the Eucharist, I can still be sanctified through the prayers and hymns and rites and so on, right? So even though I'm not going to take communion, I still should be coming to the liturgy, right? And sometimes we deprive ourselves of taking communion. Maybe there's a certain sin, or maybe, you know, I don't feel like I'm worthy today, so I deprive myself of communion. No one has the permission to deprive themselves. No one should be depriving themselves. It should be coming from their father of confession. And if there's something you feel like you did that you shouldn't take communion, you share it with him. And if he says, Khalas, I agree with you, don't partake of the Eucharist for X amount of time. Then it becomes, okay, the spiritual discipline that I'm putting myself under for a period of time. The problem is sometimes though when we deprive ourselves, it turns from weeks to months to years where I don't take communion. And this is not right. This is not right. If this is the bread of life that gives us life, and how many of us will eat a meal once a year? We don't, right? So we need this. So we shouldn't be depriving ourselves of the Eucharist. We should consult with our Father of Confession. And lastly is we can benefit from the liturgy by giving thanks. We offer him thanks uh, for hosting us in this, uh, in this meal and feeding us with the bread of life. And this is something he wants. He wants us to give thanks. As remember the story of the ten lepers, only one came back and the Lord said, where are the nine? Didn't I heal the nine? So he wants us to give thanks. And when we can say thank you and we give thanks to him, you know, uh, verbally, but how do we do so, you know, by action? It's by the commission, the being sent out. After we leave here, Abuna says, Bechristos Noti, which was what? What does it mean? Christ our God, right? And what does the people say? Amin Esashobi, which means what? Amin, so be it. So Abuna is saying, Christ is our God. Remember that when you leave. And you say, Amin, so be it. Meaning what? That when I leave the church, I remember that Christ is my God. So when I offer him thanks, the showing of my thanksgiving is how I carry myself outside. When I go outside, and go back to the normal world as if nothing happened in the liturgy, no, this isn't fitting. This is not showing that you appreciate or that you're thankful of the mysteries. And then we go and we quarrel. Um, but it should be, we do acts of service. We visit the sick. We do maybe spiritual activities. We visit, you know, if we're servants, our Sunday school kids. We reflect on the readings of the day. Spiritual things, right? Not to um, corrupt the holiness and the sanctification that happened to us during the divine liturgy. I pray that uh, every liturgy is something where we come in and we leave different. 
and we maximize our experience here in the liturgy and we are sanctified by the prayers and the praises. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.